Ten Commandments today. Over the past several weeks, we have studied a number of the Ten Commandments. And as we have now arrived at the eighth of the Ten Commandments, we recognize that they are very important to us and in our society, even though they are part of that Old Testament system. I do want to begin by reminding you that the Ten Commandments, along with the Law of Moses, was not only their civil law, but it was also their moral or religious law. You know, in our country today, we are guided by a civil law, and God has provided for that, according to Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. But God also has provided that we have a religious law, and that is what we live under, the New Testament. But the children of Israel lived under the law of Moses, and particularly the Ten Commandments, as all of their law. And that's the reason why some things relate in the law of Moses to daily interaction among people. But I will tell you the Ten Commandments function as the foundation of our civil law today. In fact, if you go to the hallowed halls of our nation's capital, you will find out that the very root system of our laws today is based upon the laws that are derived from Almighty God. In fact, if you will notice, as our founders began to state, they would say that all men are created equal and that they are endowed with their Creator with certain inalienable rights. You see, there was the appeal to the Creator. In fact, if you go to the Supreme Court, there is a frieze up on the wall that has Moses holding the Ten Commandments. And the reason why is because it has become a foundation for law. But we're living in a time when our country is going through an identity crisis. There have been a number of people who have tried to suggest now that God and religious basis has to be removed from all sources of our society. And that's the reason why you have our Supreme Court grappling with and not understanding how to address some questions like gay marriage. That's the reason why in 1973 they didn't have a, a full understanding of the unborn child. You see, our government is trying to have laws without God, and it's going to end up being an utter failure. In fact, if you try to attempt to divorce God from civil law, you will ultimately end up with anarchy. In fact, if you go to Judges 21 and verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's very quickly where our country is headed. Where everyone is able to make his own decisions as to what would be right and what will be wrong. Right now the questions are related to Moral issues like gambling and murder, even though you might not, some not, not want to call it that with regards to abortion and infanticide and euthanasia. But it also is going to relate at some point in time to other things like theft. And when you go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 12 and verse 8, Moses has to say, you shall not do it all as we're doing here today. 
every man doing what is right in his own eyes. That will not work. Jeremiah 10 and verse 23 says, O Lord, I know the way of man. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. We need guidance from God. We need God's direction for us to live. So tonight, as we look at the Eighth Commandment, we're going to look, as we have in the previous ones, first of all, at the meaning of the command and then the message. Thou shalt not, or you shall not, is God's message to his people Israel. This was not ever given to those of us who are in the Lord's church because we are not under the Old Testament law. Nor was it even given to Gentiles. This was Israel's covenant law. When he says you shall not, it means a prohibition. This is not a suggestion. This is something that you are not supposed to do, unlawful to practice. But then he uses the word steal. What does it mean to steal from someone else? The dictionary says to take another person's property without permission or legal right and without intending to return it. When you take something that does not belong to you and you do not return it, then that person has stolen from them. It's often used in the sense of something done secretly. You know, there is theft and there is robbery. Robbery is where you go to someone and you forcibly take it from them. That's also stealing. But many times it is used with regards to somebody who goes in and slips in quietly and takes something. Let me illustrate that to you from Genesis 31. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep. And Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. The word is used twice in this context. I think we can understand what Rachel did. She went in and she took her father's idols, the household gods. She stole them. In fact, she stored them in uh, the seat of her uh, animal. But it says Jacob stole away. That means he left without telling Ab or Laban that he was leaving. So the idea of secrecy was certainly involved. Now that's been very basic for the meaning of the commandment. I think you understand that. But even though this is one of the shortest verses in the Old Testament, the command is very short, very simple, and yet extremely profound. Just consider some of the things that the Old Testament talks about could be stolen. For instance, you could steal someone's possessions like their sheep or their oxen or other items. In Genesis 30, verse 33, So my righteousness will answer for me in the time to come when my wages or the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. This is Jacob saying to Laban, only certain color sheep, only certain color lambs will be considered to be mine. And if I've got one that's not mine, it'll be considered stolen. When you get to Exodus 22, 
and Moses begins to speak specifically about some individual laws, he says if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. You understand that someone could go over in like cattle rustlers and be able to take someone else's livestock. You get to verse 7. If a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep and it is stolen out of the man's house, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. You see, there were charges that were given, prescribed for various types of stealing. But we sometimes don't think about it, but there were also people who were stolen. A lot of people look back and look at the slavery that existed in the United States back during two centuries. And a lot of the reason why that was sinful and wrong was because it involved the kidnapping of people, the stealing of someone else from another country and selling them in this country. Listen to Exodus 21, verse 16. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. You see, this is one of the crimes for which God says there will be capital punishment. If you were a slave trader under the Old Testament system, you died. When you come to the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, and Paul is talking about people in Ephesus doing things contrary to the sound doctrine. He says, we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless, insubordinate, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, manslayers, for fornicators, sodomites, for kidnappers for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing contrary to the sound doctrine. Kidnappers were someone who would go and steal another person. But a third type of thing that could be stolen would be property. And you say, well, how could someone steal someone else's property? Didn't they have deeds and claims to property? Well, sure they did. But you see, they measured their property with property markers, and they were called landmarks. In Deuteronomy 19 and verse 14, you shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set. In your inheritance, which you shall inherit in the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. You see, when they came into the land and they settled the land, the tribe of Levi did not get a possession but all the other tribes did. And everyone's property was marked out and the, the fathers set landmarks to mark the various locations. And if you came along and said, nobody's watching, I'm going to move my landmark over another thousand feet. And I'm going to take my neighbors. You move that landmark, you've stolen not only the use of his land for your lifetime, but you've also stolen it for the generations to come. But then and something else we may not think about is prophecy. In De Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 30, Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, 
who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Do you realize that when someone comes along and they say, God says this, and they persuade people that what is written in the scriptures is not there or it's not correct, they're stealing God's word out of people's hearts. When a preacher gets up and he says something to this effect, you don't have to believe and be baptized. All you have to do is believe on Jesus. All you have to do is say the sinner's prayer. And those people listen to that and they believe that and they practice that. God's word has been stolen out of their heart. A person can even rob God. When you go to the Old Testament, to Joshua chapter 7, verse 11, the children of Israel had come in and started the conquest of the land of Canaan. They had taken the city of Jericho, and the city of Jericho had been devoted to the Lord. God always gets the first fruits. He doesn't get what's left. He gets what's first. And God had said that the whole city of Jericho was devoted, and they were supposed to leave and take none of it. When they get to the city of Ai, they're defeated. And once they're defeated, the question comes up, why were we defeated by such a small city with such a a poor, insignificant army? And God's answer was, there's sin in the camp. Someone has stolen from me. They've taken the devoted thing. In Joshua 7, verse 11, Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed things, and both have stolen and deceived, and they put it among their own stuff. Of course, you know, chapter 7, verse 20, Achan was the one who had stolen. When we get to the book of Malachi, the children of Israel returned from the Babylonian captivity. And when they come back from the captivity, there's at the beginning a little of enthusiasm, then it wanes, and then they finish it when Haggai and Zechariah say, build the temple, build the temple. But even after the temple's built, there's, there's something lacking among the people. There's no fervor. There's no devotion. There's no love for God. And one of the things that it exhibits is what they were doing with their giving. In Malachi 3, verse 7, Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You see, God had told them they had failed to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. They were people who were just giving a little bit. They were giving the blind, the lame, the stolen, and they were presenting that to God. And God said, you're robbing me. We come to the New Testament, which is our law that we live under. Paul said, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I gave Orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, 
that there be no collections made when I come, as he may prosper. If I've been prospered this week and God has blessed me, then I have an obligation to give to God. And you know, some would never think as the contribution plate is passed by to reach in and grab a handful of cash and put it out, take it out and put it in their pocket. But when we fail to give to God, we're robbing Him just as certainly as if we were stealing out of the collection plate. Let's talk about so many ways that people steal today. We may not always think that some of these are significant, but let me, let's talk about a few of those. It's time for school to be out, and I know there's some children who are studying for final exams. If you cheat by stealing the answers that go on a test, then you have stolen. They're not your answers, they're someone else's answers. And you've not studied and you've not gotten them the correct way. Stealing by false scales. In Leviticus 19, verse 36, you shall have an honest scales, honest weight, an honest effort, an honest hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God said, I want you to deal with everybody honestly. Proverbs 11, verse 1, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but just weight is his delight. I thought it's interesting in Proverbs 20, verse 14. It is good for nothing, cries the buyer, but when he's gone his way, then he boasts. In other words, when he's talking to the person he's trying to buy it from, oh, it's not worth much, it's not worth much. But when he buys it, oh, look how much it's worth. You see, for a person to devalue for the purpose of taking advantage of someone is to steal from them. Failing to pay justly owed debts. If I owe someone money and I fail to pay them, then I am stealing from them. It's something that's theirs. I have it. It belongs to them. Stealing intellectual property. We live in a world today that has so many people claiming that things are their own when they're not. There's actually a term for that. It's called plagiarism. Back when I was a student at Freed Hardeman, if you were caught plagiarizing, in fact, it was in the catalog, there was one grade for a plagiarized paper. Failure. F. You see, to steal somebody else's ideas and pass them off as your own is trying to take credit for something that's not yours. And something I mentioned this morning in our Bible class, the lottery. The lottery is not only wrong on many accounts, but it basically involves people agreeing to steal from one another. Someone said, well, it goes for a good cause. It's helping kids go to school. That's not why people play the lottery. If they want to help schools, let them take money out of their billfold and hand it to the school system. I guarantee they'll take it. It's because they want to win. They want to be able to steal that's what it is to agree to steal. Well, if God doesn't want us to steal, what's his desire for us? What does he want us to do? First of all, God wants us to work. 
I know that's one of those four-letter words that a lot of people don't want you to use. They, you know, they, they will use all the other four-letter words, but this is one that men don't want to use. The passage that Brother Gordon read for us at the beginning of this lesson. Let him that stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, that he may have something to give to him who has need. You see, God's solution, rather than stealing from someone else, rather than going and, you know, taking advantage, work for yourself, make your own money. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 9 and 13, 11. Solomon said, give me neither poverty. Verse 8 says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. 13, 11, wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished but he who gathers by labor will increase. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is writing the, Thess- the church at Thessalonica, and he's trying to get them to understand what their role is. And he says to them that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Evidently, some people didn't really get the message because when he writes 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know that you ought to follow us, for when we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread for free of charge, but we worked with labor, toil, night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. And then verse 11, For we hear some that among, who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all but our busybodies. You see, they're not working. In God's plan, man was to work, not steal. But God's plan is also that man loves. That's another one of those four-letter words that people don't really appreciate today. When you go to Romans 13, 9 and 10, For the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness, you should not covet. If there is any other commandment is summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If I think enough of you, I won't steal from you. It's a lack of appreciation for someone else. It's a lack of concern from someone else to steal from them. Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, as you would that men do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Do not deprive another person by oppression. I could spend a lot of time, I know that I can't do all this, but you go to Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Job, and you see people who because they have the power to deprive somebody of that which is rightfully theirs, 
to rob the needy of justice, to take what is a right of the poor people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. You see people who are in need and you don't take care of them. You're stealing from them. This morning in class we talked about people who were stingy. In Job 24, verses 2 through 4, Job says, Some remove landmarks, they seize flocks violently, feed on themselves, they drive away the donkey of the fathers, they take the widow's ox as a pledge, they push the needy off the road, and the poor of the land are forced to hide. They snatch some snatch of fatherless from the breast, take the pledge from the poor, they cause the poor to go naked without clothing, and they take away the sheaves from the hungry. People who are just barely getting by, they have no problem taking from them. But let me tell you what's the greatest theft of all. You know, if someone were to steal a penny from you, let's say you got a penny laying on the table and someone takes a penny from you, it bothers you that they've stolen, but they've not taken something of tremendous value. On the other hand, after services are over, if we go back out in the parking lot and some of you look for that new car that you just bought, and you say, where's my car? Someone's stolen it. You're going to be upset. Or some of you ladies, you, you get back home and your, your grandmother's heirloom ring that was left to you that's of great value, someone stole that. Oh, you're going to be so upset about it. Listen to Luke 8 and verse 12. Those by the wayside are the ones that hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. When someone steals God's word from you that keeps you from going to heaven, that's the greatest theft of all. Don't let the devil cause you to be lost. I want to end with a verse which I actually thought about using for the, the beginning, but I think it's a good place to end. It contrasts Jesus and Satan. In John 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Jesus didn't come to steal from you. Jesus came to give you something. The devil doesn't come to you to give you something. He comes to take from you. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow Jesus and the abundant life that he offers? Or are you going to follow the devil as he steals and takes from you? We're going to sing this invitation song. If you need to become a child of God, everything is ready. There's garments prepared. The baptistry is ready. You need to be baptized. We'll take care of that immediately. If you are a Christian struggling with sin in your life, and you know you need to take care of it, come forward. We'll pray with you. We encourage you to come. As together we stand and sing.